0: All right, if you have a Bible with you, turn to the book of Galatians. If you don't have a good Bible to read at home, get one at Guest Connections. We're going to finish up chapter one today. Last week we began a new 15 week series called Freedom Through the Book of Galatians. Today we're in verses 11 through 24. For those of you who are believers in Christ today, we all have a former way of life, don't we? We've all got a past. We've all got that before I met Jesus chapters in our stories. When we talk about how to share your personal testimony, one way we do that is to talk through, okay, what is like, what was life like before you gave your life to Jesus? And then how you repented and believed the gospel. And then what is life like after you met Jesus, after you began to follow him as one of his disciples, after you began to trust in him fully and move your trust away from yourself, how has he changed your, your beliefs, your heart, your way of life? So for me, for instance, it was before I trusted in Jesus and repented and believed in his good news, I thought I could earn God's love through trying to live a good, again, super subjective, a good outwardly moral life. I thought to be a Christian just meant you owned a Bible and once in a while darkened the door of a church. I thought I had to hide my sin. I thought pride and self-centeredness were completely acceptable as long as they weren't very visible or at least not as bad as the person next to me. And I had friends. I thought, well, I I've beat that friend. I thought that the, that the way to deal with shame and guilt and and feeling chained up to habits was to try to work your way out of those with self-effort. That the way to actual change and transformation was, was me, in a sense, pulling myself up by my bootstraps and getting my head on straight and begin to walk in a new way. All out of my own limited power. What about you, brother and sister in the Lord? What's in your former chapters in your story. And listen, if we're honest, which we're saved by grace alone so we can be honest, we weren't free from the former after we got saved. We still had and have remaining sin. We are still called to walk in a humble posture of repentance because we're not perfect yet. God is still transforming us more and more into the character of Christ the way of life of Christ, the image and likeness of Jesus. So I got saved in January 1993. And so for the past 26 years, the Lord has been continually calling me to repent and turn away from sin and selfishness and pride. And this thinking that works is how I'm made acceptable to God believer, you and I should be able to point to on a consistent basis the habits and false beliefs of our old nature that the Lord is presently at work in. For instance, in my life, the Lord is exposing in my heart that I am prone to trust in myself when it comes to the future rather than trust in Jesus that there are certain areas of my life right now that I'm prone to kind of close fist them instead of open hand of surrender to an all-knowing, all-wise, all-powerful God and Father. And that gets exposed in my heart when my mind is just rolling with worry and fear and what-ifs, and the Spirit is saying, why don't you take those things to, to your Father in prayer? The common factor in all our stories, whether it be our salvation stories or the stories of repentance since becoming a Christ follower, the common factor in all of them, the hinge point in all of them is the Lord. The way that Paul puts it in this section of Galatians is, but when God, and again, believer in Christ, we should be able to point to not just in our past. But if you had a conversation with somebody after this service, you should be able to point to present day, but when God moments. I was thinking this way. I was believing this way. I was behaving this way. But when God... And here's what the Lord has done. Here's what the Lord is doing. And here's how His grace and His truth have interrupted and disrupted my current way of life. And in those but when God stories, who gets the glory? The Lord does, right? Not us. Why does God get the praise alone? Because God is the one who did the work, who met you, who pursued you, who interrupted your life. If our testimonies somehow have us at the center of them rather than the Lord, then we're missing something. It should always be but when God and never, but when I should never be that. And in this passage, Paul is going to remind the Galatian believers and us of his but-when-God story. Remind us of the former chapters, but just as important, if not more, remind us of what is new in his life and heart. What has the Lord radically changed in Paul's life since his conversion to Christ? And I, and I chose the word, I choose the word radically because for Paul it was a complete 180. It was, I was in a sense walking, living, believing this way. God interrupted my life and I began walking and believing and living this way. It was a complete 180, radically different. I'm leaving this behind. I'm dropping this and I'm agreeing with the Lord in my mind. And I'm now going to walk in a new way that has nothing to do with that, nothing to do with the former. There's a radical nature to our conversion to Christ. That's the example you see in Scripture. Every single time. It's the example we see in Paul. A fundamental change has occurred when we trust in Jesus. Death to life. Heart of stone and pride. Heart of flesh and humility. Separated, now joined. Orphaned, lost, now adopted and found. Found. I think for many of us, when we think of what it means to follow and trust in Jesus, instead of a 180 degree conversion, we instead simply see it as a combination. We're just going to combine the old with the new. As a kid, I loved the twist cone. Did you like the twist cone? Love the twist cone. I could say yes to vanilla. I could say yes to chocolate. I, had, I didn't have to say no to either one of them. Sprinkles dipped fantastic, make it even better. I think this is what people incorrectly think about the gospel, what it actually means to repent and believe the good news. We say, well, I really like some of these things about my former way of life. I really like to be able to call my own shots. I really like to rule my own world. I really don't, there's some area of my life that I go, eh, I really don't think this is for my good. I think I got a better idea. And I, we like something about our former way of life. But I really don't want to face judgment. I really don't want to face God's wrath. I really need to experience the feeling of forgiveness. And so we combine the former with the new. And we twist these things together. But in reality, what that's doing is actually twisting and distorting the gospel. It's creating this man-made idea that you kind of concocted in your head of what it actually means to follow and trust in Jesus. You never see, you never see in the, in the New Testament, either the testimony or the teaching that to trust in Christ is a combination of old and new. That we are to be able to, that we, that we can, can kind of continue in our sin, live contrary to the scriptures, and yet claim, oh yeah, Jesus is Lord and King of my life, when in reality, we are Lord and King of our life. Instead, what we see in the New Testament is a 180 degree conversion. That's the picture we see. Colossians talks about putting off, putting on, putting to death, putting this new on. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, In Christ, that old is gone. It's dead, buried. The new has come. Baptism is a picture of that 180. Baptism illustrates our salvation. We stand in the water. We testify to the the grace of God, to that but-when-God moment. And then we're taken under the water to illustrate the death and burial of Christ. That our faith is in Him, that He took on our sin, that, we, that He died the death that was ours to die, that in Christ our sin has been atoned for, it's been covered, it's been forgiven, we've been buried in the likeness of Christ. And then we're brought back up out of the water and we've been raised to a new life. Just as Jesus was raised from the dead, we too are raised to new life, new ways, new obedience, fueled by the Holy Spirit, Believer in Christ, if you have yet to publicly identify with Christ, to stand, testify, go under, come back up, what are you waiting on? Let's set a date. Let's celebrate. We go public with our faith. We don't keep that hidden. We testify to that but when God moment among family and friends. It's a radical 180 degree conversion. Old gone, new has come. This is why it's so contrary for a believer in Christ to walk in an old creation way. Because that's not their identity anymore. We don't set our mind on earthly things anymore. We live with eternity in view and on our minds. We don't live for ourselves anymore. We died self, and we live for him who rose, who died and rose again for us. One big truth that Paul keeps hammering away in the letter of Galatians, is you can't twist old and new. So last week we talked about these two potential false beliefs that that people are trying to twist and weave up with the new covenant of God's grace. So in one group they're saying, I can keep my man-driven rebellion and yet still call myself a Christ follower and have a right standing with God. And Paul says you can't have it both ways. You can't live for yourself and live for Him at the same time. You can't serve those two masters. The other group, the Judaizers, these false teachers are trying to distort the the good news and say that in order to be saved, they're weaving it up to say that in order to be saved, to be made right with God, you've got to do some Old Testament laws and rules. You've got to obey some things along those lines. The true, the true gospel, the only good news, is through faith alone, by grace alone, and Christ alone. You and I can't improve on that news. We can't make it better than that. It doesn't get any better than that. And such news leads to freedom. Freedom from our former way of life. See, man-driven rebellion, that path could care less about your former. Just keep doing your way of life. Keep walking in those former ways. Because you got forgiveness now. No bids. And man-made religion says to create a former, it's only possible to work your way out of it. So you find yourself on the hamster wheel and that former just keeps hunting you down. It keeps chasing you. And so you keep trying to work your way out of it through self-effort and it never gets anywhere. Both of those false paths lead to enslavement. Chains instead of freedom. Only the true gospel actually has the power to transform and put to death that former and bring about new. It's the but when God makes it possible. All things are possible with Him. He has the power to make all things new. And for some of you, when I say He has the power to make all things new, you immediately put a little asterisk by that and thought, well, yeah... I believe that for somebody else, but I don't think of that about my own heart. And you put some asterisk, some loophole that you don't think he's actually able to bring about new in. I just want to remind you, loved one, he has the power to make all things new, including the things that you want to footnote and exclude from that truth. Verses 11 and 12 in chapter 1. For I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel preached by me is not of human origin, for I did not receive it from a human source, and I was not taught it, but it came by a revelation of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, he's speaking to believers here, those who are in Christ. He confronted them earlier in this letter because there are eternal matters at stake, and yet even in the confrontation, there's a reminder here, in Christ we're family. We're in relationship. Paul demonstrating to us how to speak the truth in love to a fellow believer. You don't avoid the truth. You don't avoid how the truth confronts our current way of life. And yet also at the same time, it is a reminder that the reason I'm confronting you is because we're family, because we're brother, because we're sister. Because if my life got sideways, I pray that you would love me enough to engage with me and not let me veer off out of an excuse to, well, I just want to be nice. But you would love me enough to engage me because we're family. The false teachers who had come into this region since Paul's departure are seeking to discredit and undermine his authority as an apostle. He addressed that in verses 1-10 through in chapter 1. And he's reminding them again here, listen, this true gospel is not from human source. He's going really after this in this passage Explained to them, here's how I received the true gospel. Because it's an issue of origin. Paul again is saying this message of through faith alone, by grace alone, and Christ alone didn't come out of my head. I didn't overhear it at the lunch table. This is from God's heart. Earlier in chapter 1, he says this is God's good and sovereign will. That Jesus, the one with all authority in heaven and on earth, the eternal one, would lay down his life for the sake of created people. You are in desperate need of salvation, desperate need for healing and strength and power over the former. And that now the one with all authority has commissioned every believer to go and take this good news to the ends of the earth. What's the origin of the gospel that you've believed or that you've heard? Does it find its roots in Scripture? Because if it doesn't find its roots in Scripture in what the new testament church was preaching then it's a false gospel then it's somehow a twisting the source and the origin matters because foundations matter see the false teachers are trying to persuade the galatians to a man-made foundation a foundation that doesn't have christ at the cornerstone but rather man and human ability and human effort and human rebellion and such a foundation is going to be like building on sand It appears great for a while. But then the waves of life come and it's going to crash down. If your life is being built on anything or anyone other than Jesus Christ, including yourself, if it's being built on you or anything other than Jesus Christ, eventually your life comes to ruin and that's what Jesus says in Matthew 7. That's the warning He gives to say, don't build your life there. Build your life here on the rock. Because life has storms. Life has waves. So build your life here. Me is the cornerstone. See, for Paul, and this is where he's going to be going next, he's saying, for me, my foundation was once the law. My foundation was once man-made religion. My foundation was once living for myself, and I was king of my own castle. But when God stepped into my life, and I was converted to Christ, my foundation did a 180. It was not a combining of the old and new. It was, I'm done with the former. I'm done with that. I'm walking in a new way. Because the former just led to chains. And because the foundation has changed, it's going to lead to two specific things in his life that have changed. His mission in life has done a 180, and his zeal, what he is excited about, has done a complete 180. Verses 13 and 14. For you have heard about my former way of life in Judaism. I intensely intensely persecuted God's church and tried to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism beyond many contemporaries among my people because I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. For you have heard. Word spreads when a life is changed by the gospel. And Paul's former way of life was well known throughout the land. He killed people, approved of their murder, oppressed believers, attacked them, put believers into prison. He had a notorious former way of life. See, some of you, when you hear about the free gift of salvation, the grace of God that is able to cover our sin, you think to yourself, but you don't know what I have done. You don't know the U-Haul and the U-Haul behind that that follows me. You don't know what runs through my mind or the sin that I have committed, or the good that the Lord has called me to do, and I've just completely ignored it. I love the example of Paul, a fallen man, in desperate need of God's grace, just like you and me, no different. I love his example because in Paul, we get a person whose former way of life includes both man-driven rebellion and man-made religion. Verse 13, I destroyed people. And sought to destroy their faith. I lived for myself. Hate, murder, evil, rebellion. And then verse 14, I sought to try to find my right standing with God through religion and tradition. Paul's saying, look at my former. You can't beat that. Your U-Haul, I've got a bigger U-Haul. You can't beat my baggage, he's saying. You can't trump that. I've tried thinking that rebellion would lead to freedom. It doesn't. I've tried thinking that religion would lead to freedom. It doesn't. Only the gospel does. He's saying if the sovereign and good God desires to extend grace to me, he does to you as well. If his grace is sufficient in my life, it's sufficient in your life. Are you hearing me, church? Are you hearing the Spirit of God through his living and active words speak to your heart today? Not to your neighbor's heart, but to your heart. That nothing in your former has greater power than the Spirit of God who raised Christ from the dead. Nothing. And nothing in your former is greater than the grace of God displayed on the cross. Paul's foundation has changed. So as a result, his mission and zeal has changed. Verse 13, his former was to destroy the church and its people. His former mission was to live for me. Whatever me wanted, he's saying. It's not about the other. It's about what I want. And then verse 14, his former zeal was once man-made traditions, meaning the law of Moses. In this case, I was once zealous to try to find my righteousness in my own works, in my own ability to try to obey the law perfectly, in my ability to advance past other people on this spiritual hamster wheel of religious activity. And in the end, both routes led to enslavement, not freedom. Up until now, in this passage, he's talking all about his former. And now we're going to see this shift. He's talking about here's what I did, here's what I did. And now he's, beginning to, he's going to talk about here's what the Lord has done in my life. Verse 15. But when God, who from my mother's womb set me apart and called me by His grace, was pleased to reveal His Son in me so that I could preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone. I did not go up to Jerusalem to those who had become apostles before me. Instead, I went to Arabia and came back to Damascus. Notice that it pleased the Father to reveal the Son in Paul. It pleased the Father to reveal the true good news to a guy like Paul. Does that cause you to kind of like, wait, that, that should be right? Father God did not begrudgingly pursue Paul on that Damascus road. Because the Lord, according to Scripture, is patient with people, not wanting anyone to perish. He is just. Sin has a penalty. And at the same time, He is also the justifier. He is the one who made the way possible. So it brings Him great pleasure according to here, according to Luke 15. It brings Him great pleasure. Pleasure and joy to see a sinner repent and believe the gospel. Notice how Paul says in verse 16, to reveal His Son in me. Wouldn't we think it it should be revealed to me? But again, this is a reminder that Jesus' work begins an internal work. For Paul and every believer since, Jesus has a transformative power in our very being. Converted. 180. From the inside. If you haven't done so before, you should this week, but in Acts 9, you can read the story of the the but-win-God moment for Paul. He's on his way to a town called Damascus. He's on his way with all authority to continue to try to destroy God's people, destroy their faith. And Jesus initiates. He steps in, shows up in a dramatic way, knocks Paul literally and figuratively to the ground, reveals himself in Paul, And Paul's life is forever changed. And I love verse 15 because Paul reminds us that this was the sovereign and good Lord's plan all along to save a guy like Paul. And not only save him, but then send him out, working not only in him, but through him. Since the days of Abraham in Genesis up to present day, God has been calling people out to not only be converted to Christ, to see new life formed, but then be commissioned and sent out to do kingdom work. So for Paul, the former mission was to destroy the church. Now it's a 180. Now it's to build the church, plant the churches, to take good news to the Gentiles. For Paul, he used to be zealous, passionate, excited about the traditions of his ancestors. Now he is passionate about the true good news that has come in the personal work of Jesus Christ. And the zeal for that good news is, is to be proclaimed even in great hardship. So for Paul, he was whipped, beaten, stoned, drug out of town, left for dead, various times, various places. Listen, you don't endure that kind of suffering unless you know what you believe and what you tell of is absolutely true. That to proclaim the good news to lost people is worth it. No matter what earthly hardship is in the way for Paul, there was no turning back. he'd experienced a complete 180, and so any temptation from his former way of life was rubbish. It was garbage is what is how he described it in Philippians three. Even in the hardship, nothing compared to knowing Jesus and being known by him, it was of greatest value. Verses 18 through 21 then after three days, I did go up to Jerusalem to get to know Cephas, and I stayed with him 15 days, and I didn't see any of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. I declare in the sight of God I'm not lying in what I write to you. Afterward, I went to the regions of Syria and Sicilia, and I remain personally unknown to the Judean churches that are in Christ. Paul is giving a historical account of what happened since his conversion to Christ after three years meaning three years since his conversion that's when I got introduced to Cephas or Peter this is when I got introduced to James Jesus brother in giving this account one thing Paul is trying to emphasize here is the fact that the origin of the gospel is not from man I didn't get taught by Peter who got taught by Jesus the good news message was not created in the heart of man Remember, the false teachers are trying to question Paul's origin and the source that he's coming from. And Paul is saying, no one trained me in the gospel. No one indoctrinated me on this. I didn't hang out with Peter until three years after my conversion. And then when I met Peter, it only affirmed what the Lord had already expressed to me. See, Paul is not talking about no one taught me this and beating his own chest like he's awesome, like he nailed the gospel class without help nor is he saying that it's bad or wrong to hear the good news from other believers that'd be going against what he wrote in romans 10 which says how can they believe without hearing about him how can they hear without a preacher and how can they preach unless they are sent as it is written how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news rather paul's saying peter and john and the apostles they walked with jesus They heard him teach. They saw him heal. I met the resurrected Jesus on that Damascus road later on. I wasn't following Jesus. I was not one of his early disciples. But he's saying I'm preaching the exact same truth. I'm a different messenger Galatian church, but it's the same message because the gospel is a supernatural work. Paul is saying he's like an independent witness. If you think the good news was created among the disciples and concocted up by them in the upper room, I didn't even hang out with Peter until 3 days or 3 years after my conversion. But then when we came together, what I was proclaiming, what he was proclaiming was the same exact message. See, the early church had one unified witness because it was the same it was the same all-knowing, all-present, all-powerful spirit dwelling in believers in various churches and across geographic regions. And church, we carry with us that same good news. We are to be those beautiful feet to those around us. Think right now in your own life. Who is someone in your life that does not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? A family member, a friend, a co-worker, a neighbor a kid, a parent, who is someone in your life that does not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Think about their name. The Lord has sent you to show and tell of the gospel to them. To them. You and I are to be beautiful feet and carry life-changing good news to them. And not just hope they get it, but tell of it, and not just tell of it, but show of it with your way of life. Here's how the gospel has changed my life. Here has, has, here's how it's changing my life. To share the but-win-God moments with the people around us who need to hear that God is alive and active and His grace is enough. Listen again to uh, verses 23 and 24 then. They simply kept hearing. He who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith he once tried to destroy and they glorified God because of me. They simply kept hearing that Paul's former way of life was no longer his current way of life. Formerly he was persecuting churches, now he's planting churches. Formerly he wanted to kill Christians and now he's willing to die and be killed because he is a Christian. Formerly, he was all about his own personal glory and making sure he advanced further and faster than the people around him. And now he's out to bring God glory and rest and obey and follow out of the grace that he has been so lavishly shown in Christ. They simply kept hearing, he writes. Brother or sister in the Lord, what are people hearing about you? What are people hearing about you? Better said, what are people hearing from you? Are they hearing of how the Lord has and is doing work in your life? Changing former chapters to new chapters? Are you telling them with your words? Or are you just hoping they're going to magically kind of get it? When the lost people are in your life, when they look at your life, are they seeing new life in Christ? That, hey, you're not the same anymore. I see the fruit of the Spirit. There's something distinct, something set apart, something different about your way of life. Or, or are the lost people simply seeing you blend in and just seeing your former life be the fruit? I was talking to a former basketball player of mine years ago and he's a believer now. He's gone through a long stretch of rebellious living and he was talking to me after the fact these the this, this, this season of living for self, for the temporary rather than living for the Lord and with eternity in view. And he was talking to me that, that while in hindsight he wouldn't have willingly chosen to go through that season, but he could see how God was going to redeem it in his life. So that it could be a testimony to the, to the kids he might have someday. Or down the road, he could see how God would redeem this season of rebellion and use it to bring about redemption in someone else's life, including his own. Because he wouldn't want his kids or the loved ones to go down the path that he had gone down. And there are testimonies all over this church family of believers who are saying, I'm done with the former, I'm done. I've experienced new life in Christ. I want to walk in a new way. Why would I want to mess with that again? I want to walk in a new way. Why would I want to turn back toward pride? Pride led to all of the hurt and the destruction before. I want to walk in a new way. God has met me along the road. He has called me by His grace. And I'm new now. I'm walking and living 180 degrees differently than how I was walking and living before. Church, may our past, our present, and our future repentance from the former be a God-glorifying witness to believers and unbelievers. Let our repentance be our witness. Let your repentance be your witness. See, Paul had no problem talking about his former. He had no problem that people had heard about his former because he was saved by grace. He wasn't saved by trying to clean up his life or hide his sin. Paul was saying if people knew the former, then all that's going to happen is God is going to get greater glory because God can save someone even with former chapters like that. Believer, what have you left behind? I believe for some of you at this point in your life, or maybe at several points in your life, maybe this is your reality today. I, I truly believe this is some of your reality today. That you're not here by accident, but the spirit of truth is speaking loudly to your life. I pray that you're listening. But believer, you're going to be tempted to turn back to the former. I really just want to nurse my bitterness rather than forgive. I really just want to find this momentary pleasure in checking out some porn, or smoking this, or drinking this, or just moving from relationship to relationship to relationship, because I have so much pain in my life, I just got to numb it somehow, rather than, trying to, than discovering that joy in Christ is freedom. I really just want to hate the person that wronged me. They deserve it, rather than choose to love like Christ. I really just want to remain proud and do what I want to do rather than pursue humility in Christ and adopt the attitude of Christ on the cross. I really just want to live for myself rather than die to self. And all the while, while we think those former things lead to freedom, we are enslaving ourselves. We are chaining ourselves up To the former, the former that was crucified on the cross, dead and buried. Why would we want to go back and worship at what is dead and buried? Believer, this is not your identity anymore. It's not your identity anymore. He's risen from the dead, hasn't he not? Chains have been removed. (laughs) Paul is saying in this letter, why would we want to go back to that? Why would we want to walk around like this? Thinking that's freedom. Because that's what we look like. (laughs) There's doofuses when we want to go back to the former. Instead of experiencing freedom. Because we've been set free to love and serve. And proclaim and tell. And not delay, but do that today. If you're here and you have yet to trust in Jesus, His grace has called you out. His good news is being proclaimed to you. He has has revealed Himself in you. Be open to that. Ask Him to save you. Ask Him to transform you. Trust in Him alone today the worship team could come back up to all of us. Listen to me, listen to me. How you walked in doesn't have to be how you walk out. You can walk out differently because the Spirit of God is alive and active in this place and in our lives. In Christ, conversion takes place, a 180 degree change, not a combination of old and new, death to old, life to new. So let's confess, let's repent, let's move toward one another in the family of God. See what Paul doesn't explicitly say in this passage, but it's underlined is that the community around him has radically changed. It's done a 180 as well. He was once seeking to destroy the family of God, and now he wants, he's moving toward the family of God with everything he has. His foundation has changed. His foundation is no longer Himself. It is Christ alone. And because His foundation has changed, His mission has changed, His zeal has changed, and His community has done a 180 in every form and fashion. May the same be said of us, church. Father God, we depend upon You. We need You. We pray that Your Spirit is alive and active and that we would be listening and that we would be open to the Spirit that calls us and guides us and counsels us and leads us. As believers, when we look at our past and our former, Father, I pray that you would not, you'd remind us that there's no condemnation for those in Christ. And that rather than feeling condemned, we would well up with worship and thanksgiving and gratitude, for your grace is enough and your grace abounds and your grace has changed us, it has saved us. Father, I pray for us as households, as believers, as a corporate family, that our repentance would be our witness. Our past, present, and future repentance would be a God-glorifying witness to the world around us and for generations to come. You are able, and we need you, and we depend upon you, and we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand up and worship.